the Lord, everyone. I want to read to you tonight from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This session has to do with prophecy. We discussed some things today at lunch. Brother Lewis requested that I preach this to you, and I'm delighted to do so. In the book of Genesis, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. You talk about a promise. And he goes on to say, And in thee, Abram, shall all families of the earth be blessed. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 30, hundreds of years later, If you look in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 10, God is speaking and he says, Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. Of all nations, whither I have scattered thee. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to wipe them out, is what he has said. Yet I will not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. If you look at verse 16, God said to the house of Israel, Therefore all they that devour thee shall be devoured, and all thine adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity, and they that spoil thee shall be a spoil, and all that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. If you want to know the pitifulness of God toward Israel, I want you to look at verse 30 of Jeremiah chapter 31. In this verse, God says, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels or my heart are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. And a final portion of Scripture is found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 39, and there are many like this in the Old Testament. 
But I've chosen these. In Ezekiel chapter 39 and verse 25, the Bible says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob, and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, and will be jealous for my holy name, after that they have borne their shame and all their trespasses, whereby they have trespassed against me, when they dwelt safely in their land, and none made them afraid. When I have brought them again from the people, and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land, and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my Spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. I want to entitle this tonight, There is no such thing as Arab unity. We have just come through a war, and you have heard a great deal in the news media about Arab unity. There is no such thing as Arab unity. Would you lift your hands tonight and your voices in your heart, and would you pray sincerely that a spirit of revelation and understanding will come upon you tonight, and that the power of God will surge through your very being, and that you will never be the same again where this situation is concerned. Lord Jesus, tonight, in this house, in this noble assembly, where there are great men of God gathered together, I am praying tonight that you will move upon us by the power of your wonderful Spirit, that you tonight will anoint these lips of clay and cause me to speak as the oracle of the Lord, that you, O oh God, tonight will allow revelation, understanding to sweep over us, and that our eyes will be opened and that we will see clearly tonight. I am praying by the power of the Holy Ghost, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Bless these wonderful people. Bless these precious people who have gathered here. Let angels walk in this place. Allow your word, O oh God, to become a fire inside of our souls and our hearts. We will not fail to give you the praise and the glory and the honor. We ask all of these things in the blessed and wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said... Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Would you clap for the Lord with all of your heart for just a moment?
You may be seated. Hitler is dead. Eichmann is dead. Rommel is dead. Goebbels is dead. But the spirits that possess them, the devils that possess them, are not dead. And though Nazism crumbled, those same devils came back with a new face and a new name, communism. We have seen the Berlin Wall come down. But the same devils, the same spirit, came back with a new name and a new face, Saddam Hussein. Within each of them is the same ruthless, tyrannical, lack of regard for human life. Within each of them is a dictatorial spirit. And within each of them there was bred an infamous, tyrannical desire to annihilate the house of Israel. So what I'm saying is that the battle has always been not as it appears but a spiritual battle. What is going on in the earth tonight and is still raging though the United States has been able to subdue Saddam Hussein the battle is between the forces of good and the forces of evil. In other words, the Jews would call it the battle rages between the sons of darkness and the sons of light. And so the battle is a spiritual battle. It is interesting to note that when Germany crumbled, when Nazism crumbled and fell, the judgments of God fell against that nation. Exactly as Nebuchadnezzar fell prey to the Medes and the Persians. And they fell prey to Alexander the Great. And he fell prey to the Roman Empire. God has always used nation against nation. It's God that sets them up and puts them down. They think they are so great and they think that they are all powerful. But they are like pawns on a chessboard and God uses them as he wants to use them. And when he has finished, they are subdued and they are conquered. Is it not interesting to note that at the end of World War II, that Germany was divided. The capital city was divided. And Germany has lived now for over 40 some years under the tyrannical, diabolical, ruthless hand and spirit of communism because they dared to touch the apple of his eye God had said to Abraham those that bless you Abraham I will bless and those that curse you I will curse it's not a political thing it's a biblical thing it's a battle between God and his people and God will reign supreme and God will have the last word Pentecostal tonight, if there was ever a day, Pentecostal, when you needed to come to your feet and say, yes, I am one of them, it's in this hour. You ought to be delighted to say, yes, I've been to water in Jesus' name. Yes, I speak with tongues. Yes, I believe there's only one God. Yes, I believe in the rapture. Yes, I believe in holiness. Yes, I believe in modesty. This is the hour to do it. Never has the world needed us as they need us in this hour. 
I feel if you are in agreement with that statement uh, that you ought to give the Lord a standing ovation. You ought to come to your feet, apostolic. You ought to clap your hands, lift your voice, and shout unto the Lord who has saved us from every walk of life. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am a revivalist. I have always been a revivalist. I was born in the fire, and I cannot sit in the smoke. I want a revival. I have lived for it among our people. Not some new people, not someone else that God will raise up, but I want us to have it. I want it to happen for us. I want it to be restored to us. Not a new people, not to be cut off and God raised up someone else, but for those of us who are in this, I want God to do it through us. So I've given my life and my ministry to revival and to helping people have revival. Because of that, I've taken note in the world where there is tremendous revival. I can say to you tonight that there is revival in Africa. There is revival in Asia. There's revival in Central America. There's a revival in Canada. There's a revival in Mexico. There's revival in Central America. There is revival in South America. There is revival in the islands of the sea. There's even a revival in Russia in the underground church. But there is no revival in Europe. And the United Pentecostal Church has spent millions of dollars on missionaries in Europe. We have sent the greatest evangelists. We have sent the greatest preachers among us to Europe. Even Billy Cole says, I hate to go to Europe. It's so hard. Nothing moves. It's interesting for me to take note of the fact that though there is revival in the entire earth and the islands of the sea, yet within Europe there is no revival. Why? Because there will never be a revival in Europe until something happens. About a year and a half ago, my answering service came on when I still lived in my apartment. It was a voice I had not known, but he identified himself. It was our missionary from Germany. Somehow or other, he had got a hold of some of my tapes, and they had been listening to some of the tapes, some of the message I preach in this country. And they became fired up, and they received a tremendous desire to have a revival in Germany. And so he called me and he said, Brother Stone King, he said, we want a revival. He said, can you help us? I said, yes. Yes, I can help you. My advice to you is this. You will never have a revival in Germany. There will never be a revival any place in Europe until the Europeans repent for what they have done to the house of Israel. I said, if I were you, I would assume the spirit of Daniel, an excellent spirit, and I would take upon myself, if I were in your shoes, the sins of the Germans. I would go to God, and I would say, God, forgive us for murdering and for butchering the remnant of the house of Israel. And somehow or other, the spirit of God on me over the phone came off on him and he could see, he could feel what I was saying. I said, my advice to you is to pray as if you had been a Nazi and beg God for forgiveness on behalf of the German people and ask God to give you a revival in that country. 
I said, because there will never be a revival there because it is written about the Jews. God told Abraham, those that bless you, I will bless. And those that curse you, I will curse. The only move of God we've got in Europe is in France with Brother Navaki. But if you check and study, France was not as actively engaged in the annihilation of the Jews as was, for example, Poland, Germany, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia. Millions of them died in their gas chambers. I don't care who says what or how much money we spend or how many offerings we give and who we send over there. There will never be a revival in Europe until those people repent for what they have done to the house of Israel. I'm not the only one that feels this way. I got a hold of something. People hear me tonight. While you live for God or while you don't live for God. While you get with the program here or you don't get with the program here. There are things happening in this earth. God is still marching on. His word is coming to pass. God is raising up prophets among us. And powerful things are happening in the earth tonight. There are things happening that most of us don't even know anything about. But I got a hold of something. Nuremberg was a city in Germany. Nuremberg was to Hitler what Rome was to Julius Caesar. It was to Nuremberg that they came to worship Adolf Hitler. It was there that a Nazi party convention on September 15, 1935, Hitler promulgated the Nuremberg laws which relegated German Jews to second-class citizenship. They relegated German Jews to subhuman creatures and they treated them as animals. The German Christians in the last few years of all denominations in Germany have gotten together and they have decided, and this is a statement that comes from them, the Holocaust and its ramifications have stunted the spiritual growth of the German church. I'm not the only one that feels this way. The Germans are beginning to wake up. This none of us knew about. I never heard anyone preach about this, but I want you to hear this. On September 15, 1985, exactly 50 years to the day of the declaration of the Nuremberg Laws, 7,000 German Christians convened at a former Nazi shrine, the Reich Party Grounds in Nuremberg, to repent. <laughs> to repent for the persecution of the Jews and to ask the Jews for forgiveness. This was not in New York Times. This was not in the Chicago Tribune. People did not know about this. Time didn't record it. But God keeps right on doing His work in the earth. The article I have in my files at home says, Buses carrying German Christians from all over Germany, from Hanover in the north to Stuttgart in the south, arrived at the Lorenz Church in the middle of Nuremberg by mid-morning. An attitude of indifference marked the onset of the march, but as the marchers snaked their way through Nuremberg toward the Reich party grounds, a sense of sobriety and urgency enveloped the marchers. This was not just another religious ritual, but a day that could affect the spiritual destiny of Germany. Six large Israeli flags, boldly displaying the Star of David, fluttered in the wind, displacing the swastikas that had bedecked the party grounds 50 years ago. 
Rose Price, a Holocaust survivor, said, Today I see German people carrying Israeli flags when 50 years ago the Germans said I shouldn't even be given the right to live. She spoke of her experiences in Nazi concentration camps. She told of standing in an ice-cold basin of sewage water for 24 hours because she happened to smile at a Nazi officer. Moments later, looking out over a throng of German Christians, this Jewish woman said, I come with no condemnation. I come with forgiveness in my heart. The climax of the Day of Reconciliation occurred with the reading of the Confession of Guilt by all non-Jews. They read, they stood and read out loud, 7,000 of them. We confess before God and man that we and our people have sinned greatly. We are guilty of the murder of six million Jewish brothers and sisters, men and women, old people and children. As those that have nothing to offer except for this confession, we cry out today to our Jewish brothers and sisters, forgive us our great guilt for the sake of the Lord of Israel. To the God of Israel who made heaven and earth, we cry out, Lord, have mercy on us and forgive us our guilt for the sake of your word and your son who carried all of our guilt. And the Spirit of God began to move across those people. You may say, Brother Stone King, why would God hold the present generation guilty for something that happened 40 years ago? I don't know, but I can tell you in Matthew 23 that Jesus held the Pharisees and spiritual leaders of Israel responsible for the blood of righteous men and prophets who were killed from Abel to Zacharias, even though the crimes had occurred centuries before. Jesus said, I will bring all of their blood upon this generation. He says, Brother Price so capably and wonderfully said this morning what he was saying, and I'll rephrase it in my own words. You either play this game according to the way God has written it, or he'll cross a line through your name. It's not because you are who you are. It's not because your name is so-and-so and such-and-such. -and -such. You're either going to play the game according to the rules of this book, or God will wipe you out. His ways are higher than our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's the one that wrote it. He's the one that will have the final say in the end result. May I say for all of us here tonight, may I speak for you and myself, I want to do it the way God wants us to do it. I want to do it the way He wants it done. I want to say it the way He wants it said. Hallelujah. We are living in the most momentous hour that man has ever lived in. There has never been a day like this day. This is the most exciting time that man has ever lived in. We are the rapture generation. Do you understand that 90% of the Bible is prophecy? One third of the Bible is prophecy. And 90% of it is happening in our particular day. If the preacher misses it, it should not affect you. If he preaches badly, it should not affect you. Just read the headlines in the newspaper. Listen to the news. It ought to cause you to come to church and dance down the aisles. It's happening. It's happening. It's being fulfilled. He's coming. Surely He is coming in our day. It is written thus. It is written thus. Jesus Himself said, When you see these things begin to come to pass, then lift up your head, lift up your eyes, for your redemption draweth nigh. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people of God. Shout with your voice. Rejoice. 
in the tremble, rejoice in the weeping, rejoice in the jumping, rejoice in the clapping, rejoice in the presence of God because He is with us, He's among us, He's with His people in this house tonight. You may be seated. All theologians, all statisticians, all Bible scholars, even non-Bible scholars agree that all peoples, all races can be traced back to the three sons of Noah. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. What most people don't understand is that in Hebrew, Every word means something. Names mean something. Ham in the Hebrew language means hot or passionate. But Japheth means artistic or beauty. But the name of Shem, from which the Hebrew children came, Shem is a Hebrew word which means name. And in the Old Testament, among other names such as El Shaddai, Shalom, Adonai, Elohim, Eloheinu, Shalom, they called God Hashem. They didn't really know his name as we do, but they would say Hashem did this or Hashem did that. Ha is the and Shem is name. They simply referred to him as the name. The name did this, or the name did that, is what they were saying. They still do it today in their tabernacles and in their synagogues and temples. Hashem, in their writing, it's written Hashem. The name, they don't know the name. Do you know how blessed you are? Can you understand what God has done for the likes of us, who were Gentiles afar off with no hope? But those that sat in darkness saw a great light and we came to this everlasting light. So, the Hebrew children, the Jews, the present day Jews, are direct descendants of Shem. This idea of God having a people who are called by His name is not a new idea. It is from ancient times. It runs through the Bible like a stream. It's there. It ripples through the scriptures. God has always wanted a people who were called by his name. If I were to take you to Israel, and I do host tours there each spring, I'll go again next March. You've been with me. Jeanette has been there. Others here have been there. When we go to the Mount Carmel mountain range near Haifa, we come down through what, is, what are called the Druze villages. The Druze look like Arabs. But they are not Arabs. They are direct descendants from Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. What I'm about to share with you has been presented to cabinet members of Israeli government and to top military personnel. Also, some of the chief rabbis have heard what I'm about to say to you and they are in harmony with it. So I feel very safe 
in transmitting to you what I'm about to transmit to you. The Egyptians are not Arabs. They are Egyptian and they'll tell you so. I've been there. The Jordanians are not Arabs. They are descendants from Lot and his two daughters. The Jordanians, King Hussein of Jordan, his people are Ammonite and Moabite. The Syrians are not Arabs. They are direct descendants from Agag and they are Jephthetic in nature and culture. In other words, they have descended from the son of Noah whose name was Japheth. They are Jephthetic. The Lebanese people are not Arabs. They are Lebanese. Even the Iraqis are not Arabs. They are descendants of the ancient Medians, the Medes. The Iranians are not Arabs. They are descendants of the ancient Persians. Egypt and Libya are African from Ham. Jordan is Ammonite and Moabite from Lot and his two daughters. Syria, Iraq, Iran and most others are Jephthetic nations. They are not Arab nations. The only true Arabs that exist in the entire world are the Saudi Arabians. They are Edomian or Edomite from Esau. Herod the Great was Edomite. He was Edomian. Who are these Palestinians then? This is the real question here. Who are these Palestinians? Some will tell you that they are descendants of the ancient Philistines. That is not true. Because the Philistines came from Egypt through Ham, through the African bloc peoples. The Philistines were not Semitic. They were not descendants of Shem. Who are the Palestinians? The Palestinians are Ishmaelites. They are descendants from Ishmael. And though they have been absorbed through the centuries and intermarried, yet the traits that pertain to their people have followed them down to this very hour. Ishmael or the Palestinians have always wanted to kill Isaac, the Jews. For example, the Turks in Turkey, though they are Islamic, do not want to annihilate Israel. Egypt no longer wants to wipe Israel out. They have made peace with Israel and the Bible declared in Isaiah they would. But the Palestinians want to absolutely drive Israel into the sea. The hatred of Ishmael or the Palestinians for Jews in Israel goes back to Hagar's tent. The hatred that you are seeing in the Middle East goes all the way back to Hagar's tent and that hatred has been transmitted for 3,700 years down to our very present hour. Here is an interesting fact. One of the reasons that King Hussein of Jordan does not want the Palestinians of Israel to come into his country of Jordan is because 80% now of the population of the kingdom of Jordan are already Palestinians and they are an unruly people. And he knows if Israel dumps their Palestinians into his country, his country will go through insurrection and he will be overthrown and he fears for his life. He has already, they have tried to assassinate him. King Hussein of Jordan is afraid of everything. He's afraid of Iraq. 
He's afraid of Iran. He's afraid of Israel. He's afraid of the crown prince, his brother Hassan. He is afraid of, of all of the Saudi Arabians. He fears for his life. But his greatest fear is that he is occupying land illegally that was never given to him nor his descendants. It was given to the tribe of Gad and Reuben. And there's a God in the heavens tonight, people. And this is what you're seeing in the Middle East. God in the heavens. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is never going to rest until all of that land is back in the hands of the descendants of Abraham. That's exactly what you're reading about. That's exactly what's going on. He will never rest until all of that land is back in their hands. Isaac was given the land grant. Ishmael was never given the land grant. You can read in Genesis chapter 16 and find out what Ishmael was promised. Ishmael was never promised land by God. He was never given land. He was to be a Bedouin type people. And the Bible says of him that his nature would be like a wild donkey in the mountains. He would be unruly. The Bible also says, God said, every man's hand will be against you and your hand will be against every man. But you will dwell in the presence of your brother. That is Bible. And New York Times, Time Life, Newsweek, nobody is going to change what's written in that book. And God has given us the insight. Is it not written that God has revealed these things unto babes, but He has hidden it from the wise and the prudent? You understand what we have a hold of here tonight? Do you know what we understand here tonight? Do you see what we see here tonight? I can feel the tremor of the Holy Ghost in this place. I can feel something like electric power in the very air that you breathe. The air is charged in this place with the presence of God. And there is a spirit of revelation in this house. I can feel it. Ishmael was never promised land. They are trying to get a hold of something that will never belong to them. If somebody in the West Bank became a leader of the Palestinians, somebody from the Gaza Strip would come and kill him. Because that's exactly how they are. They've never had a leader. They've never had a president. They have never had anyone over them because they will not tolerate it. The Palestinians have killed over 150 of their leaders, their intellects, their politicians in the last year and a half. They have killed over 150 of their greatest people. Because in the scriptures it is said they would have the nature of a wild ass. Unruly. And their hand would be against every man. And every man's hand would be against them. And that's exactly what you are seeing. There's no such thing as Arab unity. For example, the Iraqis hate the Iranians. You saw what they did a few years to them. They murdered them, butchered them, gassed them. And the Iranians hate the Egyptians. And the Egyptians hate the Syrians. And the Syrians hate the Lebanese. Syria has almost reduced Lebanon to ashes and rubble. But if you go to Israel, I can take you along the Lebanese border and the Lebanese are moving toward the Israeli border, building cities in the mountains along the border. You know why? Because Israel patrols the border and they patrol a certain number of miles over into Lebanon and the Lebanese have discovered they are safe if they live near the Israelis. Isn't that a verse of scripture that says there will come a day when they will cling to the Jew because they will know that God is with them? 
people, we need to wake up. We need to shout. We need to worship God. We need to pray ourselves through and to become excited. It's just about over. I've always been excited, but I've never been as excited as I am now. Something has a hold of me that I cannot describe. Something has a hold of me that I cannot describe. There is a power. There is a force. There is a strength. There is a revelation. There is a knowledge that is coming in upon the people of God. It's beginning to shake our movement. It's shaking our world. Oh, clap again. Lift your voice with excitement, with jubilee, because it is the hour of jubilee. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the Lebanese, the Lebanese hate the Jordanians, and the Jordanians hate the Saudi Arabians, and the Saudi Arabians hate them all. There's no such thing as Arab unity. You know why? Because they're not all Arabs. They are diverse peoples. They are diverse cultures. They cannot get together. The only thing that holds the so-called Arab world together is the spirit of Islam. They have the same religion. It's not that they are Arabs. It's that they have the same religion. But they cannot get together as a people or as a culture. That's why Israel has survived. The Jews are together. But the so-called Arab world is not together. They fight among themselves. But the enemies of Israel have always fought among themselves. And they have always killed each other. Because God has mingled in Egypt, for example, a spirit of perversion and a spirit of confusion. And a fierce king, the Bible says, God would raise up over them. That's not newspaper, that's Bible. It's amazing to me, it is incredible to me, that a handful of Jews outnumbered 40 to 1. 40 to 1. The Arab world does not want Israel to exist. The Arab world is comprised of over 400 million square miles. And all Israel is asking for is less than eight. The hatred goes back to Hagar's tent. But I found something in a book entitled The Young Lions of Judah, written by Mike Evans. Listen to this. He says in this book, Before the Six-Day War, an old man went through the streets of Jerusalem prophesying exactly what would happen and on what day the conflict would begin. He said that God of Israel lives today and promised that he would be with Israel and his Jewish people through it all. The events that old man prophesied came to pass. God fought for Israel during the six-day war. Otherwise, with so many soldiers against us, we would never have won. The author goes on to say, After the war, some of my comrades told me that in one area of combat, our forces had advanced so rapidly, the Jews that is, that they overran an Egyptian airfield in the Sinai Peninsula and were in full possession before the Arab allies could be notified. So, when the unsuspecting Arabs phoned the field offering to send in Algerian fighter planes, our Jewish man simply pretended to be an Egyptian officer and authorized the planes to land. Every one of those planes was captured without the firing of a shot. You want to hear it in Hebrew? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, 
saith the Lord. That's how it still is. He just needs somebody somewhere. That's why I preached to you last night, Pentecostal. You can do it. He doesn't need a million. He just needs you. He doesn't need a lot of things. He just needs you. He needs a lamp. He needs a pitcher, a bottle of oil, a sheepskin. That's all he needs. Somebody that will do it because it's not by might. It's not by numbers. It's not by power. But it's by the Spirit of the Lord God which is upon his people to show forth the glory and the of the resurrected one from the house of Israel whose name is Jesus of Nazareth. Hallelujah. 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 I've heard this in Israel almost every time I've gone over there. I've been there nine times. The Arabs, when they fought in the Six-Day War, they came back and reported. They said, we don't mind fighting. We don't mind fighting these Israelis. But there is a white light that hovers above their armies. And when we see this white light, it takes the fight out of us. And we have run for our lives. Is it not written that the angel of the Lord shall encamp round about them that fear him? This author says, but the most interesting story came from soldiers we captured during the Sinai campaign. Here's another like example. We asked one, a veteran of the war between Egypt and Yemen, why he had given up the fight so quickly. He reported that he and his comrades had seen angels coming at them from the Israeli lines and had fled in terror back toward Egypt. God intervened on behalf of Israel, a tiny nation. If God is with us, who can be against us? If God is with us, who would dare to be against us? Yes. This set my soul on fire. This sent me to my knees praying. But I want you to hear this. A UPI report from Jerusalem tells of a recent dream a 90-year-old rabbi, Yisrael Abu Hatzariah of southern Israel had. This old rabbi said he had a dream where he saw the Messiah born in a small house in his native Morocco. This old rabbi has laid out a set of white clothes to wear to greet the Messiah and request his walking stick each morning to go out to look for him. Rabbi Mordechai Shabari of Jerusalem described a similar dream he had of the arrival of the Messiah. In January, the chief rabbi in Jerusalem, according to the Jerusalem Post, said, don't worry about bombing and gas masks. The trouble in Iraq is going to usher in the coming of the Messiah. If rabbis are having dreams, if Jewish rabbis are prophesying and writing in their newspapers, what should we as Pentecostals be doing? What should we be doing tonight when the Jews, when old men among them are laying out white clothes to put on, to take a walking stick, to go out, to look for the coming of the Messiah? What should I I'm so proud of you young people in this district. You're a credit to the whole movement. I know this is on tape, but I want you to know the young people in this district are a credit to our entire movement. Don't you ever change. Don't you ever stop. Keep on living it. Keep on doing it. Keep on dressing right. Keep on living right. Hallelujah!
Aleluya. I don't know. I don't know how many of you know this. Those of you here who have been to Israel with me know this. But there is in Jerusalem, across from the present Dome of the Rock, where the Temple of Solomon and Herod the Great stood, There is a gate called the Eastern Gate. There was a prophecy in the Old Testament that that gate would be sealed. And for no known reason, a king, after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, several, two or three hundred years later, gave a command that that gate would be sealed and never opened again. And it has been sealed and is not opened until this day. So during this war we just came through, there was a lot of discussion among politicians about Jerusalem being bombed and uh, the holy sites being destroyed and all of this. But I knew in my heart uh, that they would never bomb Jerusalem. You know why? I know because in Ezekiel it talks about a prince uh, and it says when the prince comes, uh, he will ride through that eastern gate. Uh, There's going to be a gate. Uh, That gate is going to stand. Not because the politicians protect it, but because the Bible says uh, that when the Messiah comes he's going to have a gate they're going to open that gate and he will come and he will reign before his ancients gloriously suddenly the Lord will come to his temple we know we know the end from the beginning we know the beginning from the end it is written it is written it is written it's in the book it's in the book my confidence is in the word of God my confidence is in the word of God it will never pass away heaven and earth will pass away but this word will never pass away we can shout over that we can rejoice over that we can get happy about that we can preach that we can become a fanatic about that because the word of God is powerful the word of God is powerful it is more powerful it is quick and powerful dividing even a son of the joints and the marrow of the sinner and the thoughts and the intents of the heart ah! Ah, hallelujah Oh, let's put a tail on that. Let's do it again in the presence of the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Me worry? No way. He holds it all in the palm of his hand. He holds it all in the palm of his hand. 
I remember in the 60s when I received the Holy Ghost, it was in Bible school, they wanted to bomb Hanoi. But they were desperately afraid. The politicians of the world were afraid. The superpowers. <coughs> they were afraid of the Russian communist and the Chinese communist getting together. And they knew what Napoleon had said concerning China. Napoleon had said, don't ever wake her. She is a sleeping giant. And so politicians were afraid that if they went too far, it might force Russia and China together. And there would be no way to stop them. Or someone has calculated that the Chinese were marched four abreast into the sea, the marching would never, never stop because at the end of the line, they would be born fast enough to replenish the marching line. <laughs> but they did not know the scriptures. If they had known the scriptures, they would know that the kings of the east and the kings of the north are never mentioned together. If they had only known what we know... Russia will be destroyed somewhere during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. But China will meet her doom at the Battle of Armageddon. It is written that the Euphrates River will dry up to make way for the kings of the east to come across. And they will be dragged down into the Valley of Armageddon and they'll be wiped out. Security, confidence, faith to know the future before it happens. To know history before it is unveiled. That is my heritage, and that is your heritage. A blessed people, a marvelous people we are. Saddam Hussein reports I got and have in writing say that he can neither read nor write, yet he is considered to be a military genius. He's been killing since he was nine years old. And the Arab world, quote-unquote, and especially the Palestinians, deemed him to be a modern-day El Saladin. To clarify, Saladin is the only leader in Muslim history, Arab history, that ever unified all the Arab nations together. No other leader has ever been able to unify them. With his death, the Arab world became fractured and fragmented until it is the squalor that we have in this hour in the Middle East. And so to the Muslim mind, El Saladin was alive again in the presence of Saddam Hussein. And they believed that he would scorch Israel, give them the land, and he would unify the Arab world. And Saddam Hussein felt he was another El Saladin. He felt... He would be the savior of the Arab world and he announced it. But what he doesn't know is that God had said to the remnant of the house of Israel, those that bless you, I will bless. And those that curse you, I will curse. You would appreciate this. Those who have been to Israel with me, you know my guide. I use the same guide all the time. His name is Moshe Kafre. He lives in Kiryat Ono, outside of Tel Aviv. I called him a week and a half after the war ended because I know that the Scud missiles landed, some of them in Tel Aviv, and I was fearful for him and his wife. And those of us who know him had prayed for him and his family. And so at a quarter of seven, his time in Israel, a quarter of one, my a quarter of midnight, my time in New York, I dialed his number and reached him. I reached his wife and asked for Moshe. Moshe is Hebrew for Moses. 
And I said, Moshe, and when he heard my voice and recognized it, he said, Lee, Lee, he said, Lee, you can't believe what's happening. Now, I've seen him wound up on the tours, but I've never seen him so excited as he was on the phone. He said, you can't believe it. He said, American soldiers in uniforms are walking through our streets. He said, our children play at their feet. Our people hug them and they eat in our homes. He said, they're singing songs about Bush in the streets, in the countryside. You won't hear this in the news. He said, you're a hero to us. He said, America is the only nation that has ever fought for any Jew and protected them. He said, you have destroyed our arch enemy. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you know what that means for us? You know what that means for America? That means America is due for a blessing. Because it is written, those that bless you I will bless, but those that curse you I will curse. That's why I believe America is going to have a revival. God has not forgotten us. God has not forgotten us. He has not forgotten us. Because we have not forgotten Israel. Yeah, I can feel the exciting touch of God, Brother Grant, in this place. So let me go on. There's more to tell. The reason, the reason that Saddam Hussein tried to drag Israel into the war is because the Arab world is not unified. There's no such thing as Arab unity. The only hope he had of pulling those nations together was to pull Israel into the war. It was the only factor he had. And he couldn't do it. Israel knew it. President Bush knew it too. Let me throw this in for free. Is it any... Is it any wonder, is it coincidence that for the last 300 years, while America has flourished, Europe has withered? America is the only nation in the world that can boast of never having had an official ghetto for the Jews or an expulsion of the Jews. No major European country can make such a boast. Not France, not England, not Spain, not Germany, not Poland, not Czechoslovakia, not Yugoslavia, not any of them. Those that bless you, I will bless. And those that curse you, I will curse. I can take you to the Yad Vashem Memorial in Jerusalem a memorial to the Holocaust, I can show you a letter. I can show you a letter signed by German officials forbidding Albert Einstein, one of the greatest mathematical scientific geniuses of all time. They refused Albert Einstein citizenship in Germany because he was a Jew and the Nazis said he was subhuman. They threw him out, but America 
opened her arms to this vagabond Jew. And during World War II, he phoned the president and he said, I think I've got the answer to stop the Japanese. He said, we have been able to split the atom. It was Einstein that gave us the formula that caused us to invent the atomic bomb. If Germany had not been anti-Semitic, they would have had the formula for the atomic bomb and they would have been a superpower in the world. But because they scorned a Jew, because they cursed him, but America blessed him, we are the superpower in the world because we opened our arms and took in a Jew, a son of Abraham. You can clap. You can worship. God. God sets him up and he puts him down. It is written, he laughs. He sits in the heavens and he laughs at the calamities of man. Gorbachev will not survive forever. They better get out as fast as they can and we better get the gospel there because the doors will close because this book says in the end it talks about how vile and evil Russia will be and how she will come down against Israel. The door is open to answered prayer for the house of Israel to escape and for revival to reach the Russians before it is too late. God sets them up. He sets them down. The dictator of Yugoslavia, you remember... He was so powerful, he lived in luxury, drove our American limousines and Cadillacs, lived with gold leaf on his furniture, magnificent works of art, while the people under him lived like dogs. But when God was done with him, he died in the streets like a dog. His picture was in the Time and Life magazines lying dead in the streets. What an end. He thought he was powerful. He thought he was King Pid. But what he didn't know was there's a God in the heavens who controls it all. I'm so glad I know him. I'm so glad I know him. Now, I want you to hear this. And I'm beginning to come to a close. I want you to hear this. The Arab people are open to the gospel. And God has wanted to reach the Arab people. In fact, there's revival among them. So God decides he'll make a way to open the doors to get the gospel out. He doesn't check with Bush. He doesn't check with Gorbachev. He doesn't check with the king of Saudi Arabia. He doesn't check with anybody. He just causes a little upset over there. And a, and a, and a real jerk called Saddam Hussein infringes some of his power. And it gets the superpower of the world involved. God's pulling the strings, you know. But when he did that, Saudi Arabia... One of the most clandestine religious communities in all existence. One of the darkest spirits in the world. One of the most evil organized religions in all of the earth. Opened her doors to the West for the first time in her history. And asked Americans to come under her soil. To fight for them against the evil of Saddam Hussein. Incredible. Never happened before. May never happen again. But... All of a sudden, the United States government called 29 American Oneness Apostolic Pentecostal chaplains from Europe, transplanted them into Saudi Arabia. 
I got this information from Arliss Glass in Houston, Texas. You can talk to him about it. He told me, he said, Brother Stalking, we sent 29 chaplains from Europe into Saudi Arabia. He said, one chaplain <laughs> called a Bible study thinking that four or five, maybe six soldiers would come. 30 American soldiers showed up. And 28 of them were in the altar praying for the baptism of the Holy Ghost on Saudi Arabian soil. I want you to hear me tonight. If old Muhammad could do what was going on in Saudi Arabia, he'd turn over his grave. He never figured, he never expected that oneness tongue talkers would walk on his desert sand and help to pray Saudi Arabians through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with tongues, and come to know that Jesus of Nazareth is the one true God, that Allah does not exist, and Muhammad is not a prophet. There's only one God. There's only one God. There's only one God. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his name, and his name, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. One more time. Jesus. No name like unto it. No name like unto it. No glory like unto it. No power like the power of the name of Jesus. But that's not the end of it. That's not the end of it. Hear this. We discovered once we got over there. We discovered that there's an underground church in Saudi Arabia of 2,500 people who meet secretly in the desert. Many of them baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Brother Glass told me that their leader is in the government and the government discovered it and the government of Saudi Arabia canceled the visas of many of the foreign students immediately and asked them to leave the country because it is forbidden for an Arab to ever convert to another religion. I've had groups all over the country where I've gone pray for those Saudi Arabian Christians that somehow God will make a way for them that they will not be martyred but that they will be able to continue. Would you lift your hands for a moment and pray that God will intercede for these people who are brothers and sisters in Saudi Arabia. God, in the name of Jesus, make a way. Send your protective power. Send the angels of God. Change the law. Make a way for them to escape. However you want to do it, just do it. I ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the glory of God, by the power of the resurrected one, whose name is Jesus. I worship you, God, in Jesus' name. Now let's clap for a moment. Let's clap for a moment and thank Him for answered prayer. God has got to make a way for them. Those people are our brothers. They are our sisters. God has got to make a way for those people. And I believe He will. Don't you see tonight? 
Don't you see? You may be seated. Don't you see that when God gets ready to do something, nobody can stop it? Nobody can stop it. He pulls a few strings. He does a few things. And the whole world capitulates. That's not the end of the story. But the glass told me that, that people begin to get the Holy Ghost. Our boys begin to get the Holy Ghost. Saudi Arabian soldiers begin to get the Holy Ghost. And they had no place to baptize them. One chaplain found an empty pickup bed truck. And he lined the, tr- the bed of this truck with plastic. Sealed it and filled it with water. And they baptized our soldiers and Saudi Arabians in Jesus' name in the back of a pickup truck. In Saudi Arabia. I love it. That's not the end of the story. Another chaplain didn't have the back of a pickup truck. He dug a hole in the sand, lined it with plastic, and filled it with water, and they baptized our soldiers and Saudi Arabians in Jesus' name in a hole in the sand that had been lined with plastic. This is another report I got after I talked to Arliss Glass. One report came to me from a soldier and said 57 American soldiers saved their bathwater to pool it, to make a baptismal tank so they could baptize each other in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was another chaplain. There was another chaplain that couldn't have any water, couldn't get to water. A high-ranking official above him found out about it and called our our chaplain, our UPC chaplain, and said, we'll send helicopters in, we'll fly the boys out to water, you can baptize them, and we'll fly them back. Can you believe me? I wish I had something to climb up on. I feel like climbing to the top of the ladder. I feel like getting up on top of the house. I feel like standing up on something tall and shouting that Jesus is able to do anything and everything and all things and nothing shall be impossible to them that believe. Can you believe here tonight that the United States military government paid to help us have a revival in Saudi Arabia? They threw them out, baptized them, and threw them back. I'm so glad I know Jesus. I'm so glad I know Him. I'm so glad I'm on His side. But I'm glad He's on my side. I'm so glad He's on our side. You may be seated. I close with this. I close with this. I was in Stockton, California in January of this year to preach for Brother Haney at the Landmark Convention. There is a couple there who are former missionaries, brother and sister Rash. You probably know about this story. Their son, as I understand it, was on the front lines in Saudi Arabia. And I understand that he was backslidden, at least partially backslidden. And Brother Sister Rash were so concerned about him. Let me tell you something, people. Jesus is really something. He is really, really something. Here this mother and father are praying for their boy. Begging God to let them hear from him. Because they could not get a message from him. And they could not get a message to him. They did not know where he was 
of what his status was. They cried and prayed and cried and prayed. Brother Rash, somewhere in Stockton, picked up a USA Today newspaper, opened it up, and on the front pages in full color was a photograph of his son kneeling in the sand in the desert. Praying. Praying. What a way to answer prayer of all the soldiers that could have been photographed. Why the son of a couple in America? Because there's a God in the heavens. There's a God in the heavens who hears you. There's a God in the heavens who hears us. There's a God in the heavens whose name is Jesus. And He hears your heart cry. He hears. He feels the burden of your heart. He answers by fire. He answers by fire. He is in control of it all. As the musicians come in D minor, I want to sing tonight. Oh, come, let's sing. Let us rejoice. But I want you to stand. I want you to clap your hands again. I want you to let your voice out in this glorious atmosphere, in this marvelous atmosphere where the Holy Ghost is. Are you glad you know Him? Are you glad you know Jesus? Are you glad that you can feel what you feel in this house tonight? Are you glad for the grant? I've never been so glad. I've never been so glad. I feel like running tonight. I feel like shouting tonight. I feel like going crazy tonight. I just feel like doing it because I can feel Him. We have found Him of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, His name is Jesus. Oh, come, let's sing. Let us rejoice. Oh, come, let's sing. Let us rejoice. Messiah's come, and He brought life, and He put laughter into my soul. Oh, come, let's sing. Let us rejoice, oh come let's sing, let us rejoice. Messiah's come, and he brought life, and he put laughter into my soul.